pretty much gets all the verses, so we'll, uh, yeah, every time I read Revelation, I get to those, I get to those verses and, King of kings forever. (laughs) I think, I think the reason why this uh, phenomenal piece of uh, music was written is because that's what they'll be playing when they come down. Be sopranos in the back. So, Jesus is coming back, and He's going to set up His kingdom. And it's going to be awesome, and I so much look forward to it. Well, this uh, whole story culminates in Revelation of Jesus' return. And what I want to do is start today with the... uh, Sorry? Yeah, I did. Thank you. Uh, What I want to do is start today with the things that we can be sure about. Uh, as I've emphasized and uh, in kind of in response to one of the questions that I got, uh, the, the, the Jewish scholars were brilliant people, and they knew the Bible backwards and forwards, and they missed the sequence of Jesus' uh, advent. I don't think we're as smart as they were biblically. And I just don't think we can get very dogmatic about how this is going to pan out. But there's some things we can be really sure about. Turn with me to Revelation 22, if you would. Thank you, Keith. Revelation 22. We'll look at Revelation 22 and then the first part of Revelation. These parts I think we can be really sure about. This is the point of Revelation. Revelation 22 Verse 7, this is Jesus speaking, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Let's flip back over to uh, chapter 1 of Revelation. Come in, come in. Chapter 1 of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to the servant John who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who does three things. Number one, reads. Number two, hears. How can you read something without hearing it? Read it silently. You must read this out loud. What's he mean here? Reads. Understand it. Yeah, understand what it's saying. Read it. Understand it. And keeps those things which are written for the time is near. How do you keep something that you read and understand? How do you keep it? Observe it. Do it. Read it. Understand it. Do it. That's what this is. Can you do the future? Okay, we can do kingdom living now. But when do we do kingdom living now? now? Now. We do kingdom living now, now, right? We can't do the future. This is so we will be inspired now the way we live now. That's what this book is for. It's, I think one of the reasons, it's just in the human nature to figure out the system so you can kind of find a loophole and get what you want, right? If you have children, they do this, don't they? Those little bitty kids, they figure out that 
you know, well, well, you didn't say I couldn't have a Rice Krispie treat. You just said I couldn't have a cookie or whatever. You know, there's, there's, a, there's always legalism involved. And what we're not trying to do here is figure out how this system's going to work so we can figure out, okay, well, good. Well, then I can skate by right up until this point. That's not the idea here at all. The idea here is to live with a sense of urgency of Jesus' return at any time. Let's go back to 22. Verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, Revelation does not come in and overturn the overriding message in the Bible of salvation by grace through faith. But Revelation is written to who? Believers. Well, specifically who? The seven churches. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an epistle to churches. Churches are made up of believers. And some, some will say, well, yeah, but there's always some unbelievers. Well, maybe there might be some unbelievers in a, in a church. That's not, that's not the essence of this at all. And at the time this is written, unbelievers would not have gone to, ch- to church in order to get, sell more insurance policies. It, there was a lot of persecution and so forth going on. To give everyone according to his work. This is about cause effect. There is an impact to everything we do in this life. And it's not just now, although it is now. If we live an obedient life now, we get immense benefits from that. What are some of them? What are the benefits of walking in the Spirit? Peace. Peace. Yeah, peace instead of what? What's the opposite of peace? Turmoil, anxiety. Okay, what's another benefit of walking in the Spirit today? Okay. Well, now, that, that is an, a future benefit. Are you thinking about something right now? I'm talking about right now. Right now, yeah. Joy. Okay, what's the opposite of joy? Wrath, sorrow, anxiety. Okay. We like those things better, right? And so you get a current benefit. But there's all this current benefit compounds all the way into eternity. And we're supposed to live not only with today in mind, but with this imminence of Jesus' return in mind. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Everything's summed up in me. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. This is written to believers. So that we will read, understand, obey. That part's really clear. There's just no, there's absolute, Revelation is the simplest book that there is. It's super clear. Let me go through some of the things we really can know from Revelation. Verse uh, 1-3, we, we can know that we are to obey. Uh, let's look at chapter 3. This is kind of the culmination of the letters to the churches, which we don't have time to do today. But look at uh, verse 14 in chapter 3. There's seven letters to churches, and this is a letter to the church at Laodicea. By the way, Revelation was one of the last books admitted to the New Testament canon. And the church that held it up was the church at Laodicea. You'll see why here in a second. To the angel of the church at Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. 
So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And I think the picture here is... um, Laodicea apparently had beautiful, wonderful spring water and uh, mineral baths. So you could go to the hot water and get healed, or you could drink and enjoy the cold water. But what happens if you take the cold mineral water that comes out of your tap and mix it with the you know, mineral water you go take a Epsom salt bath in? What do you do with that? You get Midland water. You get Midland water. <laughs> take a nice swig of that. What are you going to do? You're going to spit it out, right? Okay, I think that's the picture here. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, you're not useful. Okay? You're useless. And here's, here's the useless attitude. Because you say, I'm rich, I've become wealthy, have need of nothing, and do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. This is the reality of America today. And I think... Uh, there's usually considered a historical sequence to these letters, a, a spirit of the age of different um, uh, historical of, uh, eras. And this is kind of the spirit of our age. We've got become immensely wealthy as a nation and even as a world and say, yeah, we don't need God anymore. But the reality is we're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now the spirit of our age says, no, 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 we're all Okay. We're all okay. I mean, everything's fine. Uh, we, the only problem we have is we don't think enough of ourselves. Uh, they did a survey and discovered that the segment of the population with the highest self-esteem, prisoners. They think they're fine. But we really are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We're needy people in need of a Savior in need of dependence and obedience. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed. Gold refined in the fire are these works that we we live in. And if you walk in according to the things of Jesus, it is painful, and we get refined. Forgiveness is very painful to, to forgive someone. Uh, it is extremely painful to stand for what's true when everybody's trying to get you to do what's not true. It's very painful to stand in a relationship that is abusing you and not retaliate and not revenge. It's very difficult. And that refines us and puts us into fire so that we can become pure. And we're naked. We just, we just don't have anything to offer. And in walking and hearing, sorry, reading, hearing, keeping, that's what clothes us in the righteousness of God. And uh, Dr. Rodmacher has this saying, there'll be a lot of bikini believers at the Bema, standing before, you know, with everything burned up in, in our G-strings. And he says, don't, don't do that. You know, be clothed. I counsel you to buy from me... Uh, Clothing, so your nakedness won't be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. Rebuking and chastening has gone out of favor in parenting in America. Have you noticed this? Well, God is a good parent and He rebukes and chastens. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him and he with me. I want to have a fellowship like with you and I'm knocking and I want to have it. I just need you to open the door. This is actually not a justification verse, it's a fellowship verse. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. So this is the future thing. So, hallelujah, the Lord has come. His kingdom is now of this world, and who's going to be reigning with Him? The overcomers. As I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. This is Philippians 2. Although He existed in the form of God, He didn't regard that something to be held on to, but He became obedient even to death on a cross and learned obedience in his life. And as a result, as a result, as a reward, his name was elevated above every name and he was enthroned. And Jesus says, I did that. Now, did Jesus accept Jesus as his Savior and believe Jesus in his heart? He did not do that, did he? That's not overcoming. What did Jesus overcome? death what did what else did he overcome sin temptation just like we did scripture tells us he overcame temptation in every way as as we did and instead of following the world's way man's way he said to peter get behind me satan you're thinking about man's thoughts not god's he followed god's way in perfect obedience and he's asking us to do likewise and he says that's who's going to reign with me he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is clear. We can really understand this. This is imminent, and everything we do in this life absolutely matters for all of eternity. Some will overcome, some will not. And the ones who do get a reward beyond our imagination. We, we can say these words, but we don't really fully have the capacity to comprehend what this means. That we can be clear of. Another thing we can be clear of, looking at chapters 4 through 19, uh, which goes through the tribulation, which again we're not going to go into today, this seven years where the Bible tells us if God hadn't shortened it, the whole world would have been destroyed, that you know things are going to get worse before they get better. We can know that. And we can know that God's in control. That's really clear. Absolutely. It's going to turn out just like he said it's going to turn out. Another thing we can know is that justice is going to prevail. Uh, It's easy in our world to look at genocide going on in Africa and look at 40 million babies killed in our nation and look at all these different things going on even in our own lives we think well why, what am I doing what, what, am, I, what am I thinking we can, we can look at all these things and say something's wrong with this world why isn't it being made right it will be made right all things will be made right and justice will prevail one of the sort of amazing things that happens in Revelation is there's a group of martyrs underneath the altar in front of Jesus. And they turn around to Jesus and say, I got a question. Yes, yes, I'm call on you. He says, uh, how long are you going to wait before you avenge our deaths? Very interesting, huh? In heaven. So this that you know old phrase, time shall be no more. Well, in a sense that's true. 
in that we're not going to have an end to our lives. But in another sense, we're going to be very aware that time's marching on. And they're tired of waiting. And what do they want? Justice. Because justice is something deeply ingrained in us. We want it. And it's going to be given. Paul said, judge nothing before the time. Judge nothing before the time. Nobody's going to get away with anything. You don't don't have to worry about that. Andrew, you probably see injustice go on fairly often, don't you? Being as a prosecutor? Yeah. And it probably bugs you, right? Yeah? Okay. And I suppose you probably have to say, deep breath, they're not going to get away with it. Okay. Okay, good. Uh, so we can be really confident that these are things we can really know. The sequence of how exactly it's going to, you know, when the battles are going to happen and which one's going to come first and who Gog is and who Magog is. I think it's interesting to speculate on all those things, and there's good books out there on that. I'm just trying to focus in on the things we can really know. We can really know that being an overcomer will absolutely be worth it. That we can really know. Now let's look at some actual events. Uh, Turn to Revelation 19 with me. We'll look at the eagle has landed here. Except on earth. Chapter 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened... And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. Now I have to tell you, Dr. Anderson says that in the Hebrew, the white horse is not translated properly. He says it should be the white Harley. He's a big, he's a, he's a big motorcycle guy. So. But we'll just have to take his word for that. Behold, a white horse, and him who sat on it was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Okay? Again, I just want to stop for just a second. This idea that the Old Testament God was mean and the New Testament God was nice. Well, God is the same yesterday and today forever. And here he's coming. What's Jesus coming to do? Make war. The first time he came and he said, I didn't come even to judge. I came to make peace and to serve. This goes back to the justice thing. Judge nothing before their time. Overcomers are going to be issuing justice. Overcomers are those who agreed to serve in this life. It's a pattern for us. Verse 12, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now I suppose that these are the same garments that God's asking us to buy as overcomers. And how do we buy those garments? Where are they sold? What store are they sold in? Store of obedience. (laughs) The store of good works. The store of trials. Of loving others who don't love you back. The store of serving your children who all they are just selfish, little selfish machines. (laughs) (laughs) 
it really is all about you then. Is that what you're saying? And they followed him on white horses. Now, there's going to be animals in the millennial kingdom. And there are some strange and bizarre creatures in heaven right now that I'm really looking forward to getting to know. So, I, I think uh, one of the fun things is going to be is uh, getting to interact with animals on the basis that we should be able to interact with them on. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. What does that mean, rule with a rod of iron? Justice. Justice. When is justice going to be done in this new reign? Always. Always. It's going to be done always. There's not going to be any patronage system. There's not going to be any pay to play. There's not going to be any buy off the buy off the government officials by corrupt mafia dons. It's not going to happen. There's going to be righteousness and justice. And when justice is done, it's going to be done. He himself, Jesus, treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the Almighty God. You heard of the grapes of wrath? This is the grapes of wrath. How do you tread out grapes in this era? What do you do? Squish them with what? Your feet. Yeah. Do you see the picture? He's taking people that have sinned and, if you will, squishing them. He's taking the sins of the world and squishing them and getting them, getting them right. He has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here's Jesus coming out of the sky. Let's go to Zechariah 14. I think it's the same event. Zechariah is just before Matthew. Or two before Matthew. Three before Matthew. Yeah, two before Matthew. Yeah. Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14, let's start in verse 3. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as He fights in the day of battle. And in that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Now the Mount of Olives is a ridge just to the east of Jerusalem. Uh, It's a maybe 500 foot elevation. It's not very tall. And if you see a picture of the Mount of Olives, go Google it or something, there's all these graves all over the Mount of Olives because the Jews understood this prophecy to mean Messiah is going to come and they wanted to be first. If you get buried on the Mount of Olives, you get a you know, first in line, so to speak. Which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. Mount of Olives is a north-south ridge. So this thing's going to split in two. You get this picture in your mind? Making a very large valley. So it's going to split in two. And not only just a little crack, but a really large valley. Now on the west of, the, of Jerusalem is the Mediterranean Sea. To the east of Jerusalem is the Jordan Valley. As a matter of fact, you can see the Jordan Valley off in the distance. And, and not, not far in, you can see the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is way below sea level. It's called the Dead Sea because why? 
It's so salty, nothing lives in it, except right around the edges where the water pours in, there's tiny little life there. It's kind of a prelude of what's, what we're about to see. Half toward the north, half toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee. I think Azal's about six miles away. You shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. Doesn't that sound like the same episode? The Lord God, and who's the Lord God? Who is it in Revelation? It's Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the Lord God. And all the saints with you. So here's all these people. It's got this train of army behind him all in their white robes on horses. And it shall come in that day. There'll be no night. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day or night, but at evening time it shall happen. That will be light. And in that day it shall be that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Now right now there's no waters coming out of Jerusalem. So something new is going to happen here. It's going to be water coming up here. And what's it going to do? Half toward the eastern sea and half toward the western sea. Both in summer and winter it shall occur. So some kind of artesian spring is going to happen. Then the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day it shall be the Lord is one and his name one. All the land shall be turned into a plain from Geba to Ramon, south of Jerusalem. I think this is a... I'm not sure how far this is, maybe 20 miles or something, but Jerusalem shall be raised up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Hanel to the king's wine presses. The people shall dwell in it and no longer shall there be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague that the Lord strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. So we've got Zechariah here. We've got Revelation basically predicting the same event. Jesus is going to come down and he's going to strike the uh, oppressors. He's going to clean things up and he's going to install his kingdom. Uh, It's Interesting, too, to look at uh, Ezekiel 47. I think it's talking about this same event. Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel 47, verse 6. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he brought me and returned me to the bank of a river. The river. When I return, this is Ezekiel 47, 6. When I returned there, along the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and the other. Then he said to me, This water flows toward the eastern region, which goes down into the valley. This is the Jordan Valley. And enters the sea. That's the Dead Sea. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. There will be a great multitude of fish because these waters go there, for they will be healed and everything will live wherever the river goes. It'll be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to in Egalalem, and they will be places for spreading their nets. Now today, if you go to the Dead Sea, there's a lot of activity there, but it's all mining. They're mining the salts and the minerals out of the sea, and they make uh, beauty products and stuff out of it, and industrial products. There's no fishing, because there's no fish in the sea. And it's quite an amazing experience. You can, you, It's so dense water, you, you float no matter what you do. Uh, 
But that's not going to be the case. It's going to be live because of this water flowing down from the Mount of Olives into the Dead Sea. Now, the, the reason I'm going through these things uh, is not only just so you can see kind of this event that's going to take place, but also you can see it's, this is not a new earth. It's a changed earth, but it's not a new earth. We're going to study the new earth next week. And the new earth is a different kind of animal. This is the Jerusalem we know with the Mount of Olives that we know, with this change of this split and this valley, and the Dead Sea that we know, except now it's been rejuvenated. And one of the things that's interesting to me in Christianity and theology is that among you know, regular people, most people think that you know, there's a thousand-year reign in a literal kingdom, but most theologians do not. There's a very marked bias against the idea of a thousand-year reign. And I'm not sure why that is, but my opinion is because the reason for the thousand-year reign is to completely resolve all the promises God made to Israel. His promises and gifts are irrevocable. And we as Gentiles, I think most of us in here are Gentiles, have been grafted into this root of Israel, but we've not replaced it. We're supplemental. But these promises to Abraham because of the fathers will all be kept. And the dominant stream in Christian theology is that God actually changed his mind and revoked all those promises by substituting the church in for Israel because they rejected him. That's the the dominant theology. It started with Augustine, 500 A.D. So it's been dominant for 1,500 years. And... I think that's just, and, and, and that sowed the seeds of anti Semitism in the medieval church, which was rampant. There were multiple times where uh, the Jews were burnt out, uh, you know, of Christ killers. There was uh, multiple times where, well, you know, in, in um, Nazi Germany, you know, Martin Luther, unfortunately, was very anti Semitic, and his writings f- formed the basis of this anti Semitism. And we are a Jewish religion. We've been grafted in. And one of the opportunities I think we have is to embrace this. And embracing Judaism is not very easy because the Jewish people are, according to Scripture, what? Stiff-necked and unlovable, right? He said, I I chose you in spite of you, you, what you're like. Uh, But it's reality. And it's... What we're supposed to do, part of our calling, is to bring them back through jealousy. That they look and say, you know, those, those goyim, they, they, uh, they, we should be living like them. What do they have that we don't have? This is all Romans 11. So I think this is actually very, very important. Let's look at the thousand year reign. Revelation 20. Most the re, and I'm not mo, mo, for the most part for uh, air, you know pockets of theologians who don't like Israel's promises being fulfilled and don't like the millennial kingdom. For the most part, they just don't talk about it. I, I saw one website that was uh, reform. This is usually called reform theology, and they said uh, we're not dispensational. Uh, and we're not um, see we're not dispensational, and we don't think you can really know. But we don't think you can really know all that much about the future. 
So we just don't want to talk about it, basically. Chapter 20. Then I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit, the abyss, and a great chain in his hand. He laid over the dragon, that serpent of old. Isn't this an awesome picture? You get the picture in your mind, this, this angel with this giant chain, and he goes down there, there's this raging dragon, and he says, down boy, down boy, get it here, 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 here. Puts this chain around him, goes and throws him in this pit. That serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. So during this thousand year reign, no Satan. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. Set a seal on him so he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things he must be released for a little while. And I saw throne, and, and amazingly, when he's released for a little bit, he's got a thousand-year reign. We'll, we'll look at a few verses here, how wonderful it is during this thousand-year reign. And the Satan's released for a little while. And what do people do? They, they, gather, they gather up an army and go attack Jesus again. It's like, why? Didn't you? That's just the way we are. And I released, and I saw thrones, and they sat on them. This is the overcomers. And judgment was committed to them. See, we're supposed to be judging angels because we have learned through faith how to gain the wisdom of Jesus in serving. Then I saw souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus in the Word of God. If you read through 4 through 19, it's going to be a time of mass bloodshed among believers. And, and millions are going to come to Jesus in this, in this tribulation period. Uh, there's going to be a massive revival and many of them will lose their their necks as a result of their their heads as a result of their witness. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So this is another way to become an overcomer, to be martyred during the tribulation period. But the rest of the dead didn't live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. During the early church... They had a problem that they ran into. The problem was that they had a lot of believers that acted in a very um, reckless manner toward the authorities because they wanted to be caught and martyred. Because they understood that was a shortcut to being an overcomer. And they had to say, no, 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 that's not for you to decide. You need to live and serve faithfully. Let God determine that. What's that? They had a little bit of a yeah, mixed up idea about it. You know, there's a reason why this, the Muslim jihad and these other things are what they are. Marxism's this way. Change the world in one generation. And make it perfect. Today we have to lie, cheat, steal, kill. But that's only until we get rid of the enemies and then we'll make it better. It's the same basic thing that Jesus is saying here. Except it's man in charge instead of God in charge. Basically, all evil systems are a perversion of something that's true. Evil doesn't exist on its own. Well, what's it going to be like during this thousand years? Let's look at Isaiah chapter uh, uh, 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1.
the word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountain and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. So here's Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the center. That's where the, that's where the, king, the, king, the center of the world government is and all the nations are coming there. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways. We shall walk in His paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law. Do you know what Hebrew word that is? Anybody know? Torah. I've been doing a lot of uh, looking at this word Torah, and I'm starting to think it's basically the same idea as logos, the word of God. It's much greater than just the uh, written word. It's the essence of God Himself that He first gave to us propositionally. But then He's now writing it on our hearts through the Spirit and eventually will completely permeate us and make this wonderful world. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, He shall judge between the nations, rebuke many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. And they ain't going to study war no more. Save the children. Save the people. Okay. Isaiah 11. You see, there's all kinds of songs in the Bible. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch will grow from his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. This will be him and his throne and all the saints that that are doing it with him. So it's going to be a perfect system. With the breath of his lips, he'll slay the wicked. Righteousness will be in the belt of his loins. Faithfulness is belt of the waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and fatling together. A little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hold, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that awesome? What's happened to nature? It's been redeemed. It's all vegetarian again. You know, there were no meat eaters until after... Noah's flood. I'm sure there'll be a blessing in that somewhere. Right now, I can't think of it. (laughs) Maybe there'll be some kind of new animal to have barbecued ribs. (laughs) Keith, I know there'll be some job for you in heaven. Yeah, there's no more war among people, and there's no more enmity among nature. I I love birds. We have martin houses in our backyard. And I just like to go out there and watch those little guys. And they get used to, you know, every spring when they come in and they'll sit there and chirp and everything. Well, it's just going to be like 
You can just walk up and say, hey, come on down here and let me talk to you. And they land on your shoulder and you visit with them for a while. It's, the nature is going to be restored. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> Another song. Let's look at... Uh, well, I think we got it. So you get the picture. So, what's the big points? There's a new, there's a new world coming. Uh, it's going to first be a millennial kingdom where the earth is still the earth. There'll be people. Uh, there's a verse somewhere, I forgot to look this one up, uh, that says uh, death will be so rare you get a front page headline when somebody dies. So there'll still be mortals on the earth. Um, justice will prevail. Nature will be restored. And then at the end... Jesus is, goes and lets out Satan for a little time and they rebel again. And then you get the new heaven is in the new earth. We'll do that next week. We'll end this week with another song. This is Music Day. This song comes from Revelation chapter 5. Worthy... Chapter 5, verse 12. Saying with the, And let me just read the starting in 9. They sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God. Remember when we went through Hebrews? We had a better king with a better administration and a better world and a better priest with a better sacrifice and a better covenant and Jesus in the book of Hebrews inviting us to participate in both of those ministries and we participate by doing what? Serving and obeying. And we shall reign on the earth Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And so I'm going to play that song. And then you're dismissed. I'm... Listen for one minute and then I'll say you're dismissed and then I'll just leave it on while you guys keep going. This is the uh, finale in Handel's Messiah, this song. This is the finale. And it's not playing. Oh, here we go. Oops. All of history is interrupted. It's a time warp. Did it? Maybe God didn't want me to play this. What's that? They're saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. They're just going right through this verse. 
they're going to say to receive power and riches. Receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is the Lamb. And this is the big point. We have a lamb that was slain. And because of his slaying, he's a better king and a better priest. And he's invited us to participate. And if we do, we can overcome. If we read, hear, do. Thank you guys. We'll see you next week. New earth next week.